Hey, it's good to see you all today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. Uh, this is one of those Sundays of the year. A lot of our folks traveling after Thanksgiving, so we're glad you're kind of in their place. And if you're a guest and the seat in front of you, there should be a little connect card. If you want to put some information about yourself there, we'd appreciate it. Or a, or a prayer request. It's Christmas time. I love, love Christmas, man. It's just time we get to celebrate. We should be celebrating Jesus, and there's nothing worse at Christmas than grumpy Christians. You know what I mean? You know, the grumpy Christians, the kind that find fault and everything, you know, they're the ones that always say, Christmas is too commercial. You know, grumping about that. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think Jesus cares that much from what I read in the scriptures. I don't, I don't think Jesus cares if, if people are making billions of dollars off his name at Christmas. I think he cares about the billions of people who don't know about his name or trust his name. That's who he really cares about, right? So we, just, we don't need to worry about that stuff, you know. And, and, and the people, my favorite or my least favorite, is that people tell me I've got to put Christ back in Christmas because I'm pretty sure Christ is in Christmas. Otherwise, it would just say must. You know, I mean, the root word of Christmas is Christ, so it's everywhere, and that's a great thing. And I'm a firm believer. We can start celebrating Christmas. I don't care how early we celebrate Christmas. I really don't. Because we live in a day and age where people in our culture are moving away from Jesus. They're kind of rejecting Christianity. So anytime you can put the name of Christ up somewhere or talk about Jesus in any way, I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic. Let's celebrate Christmas year-round. Let's get Christ out there all we can. And Debbie and I, we had a good Thanksgiving. We did Christmas, Thanksgiving night. We went shopping because after the first quarter of the Cowboys game, we went shopping, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you. And I don't have a problem with that. If you get grumpy at that, listen, <laughs> unless you just sit home at Thanksgiving doing nothing, if you watch TV, listen to the radio, go to the store, get gas, you don't have a problem with people working on Thanksgiving. You just want to pick and choose who gets to work. That's it. We go to Thanksgiving, and we're out, and I love it because Debbie saves me hundreds of dollars on Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful for that. And we go out, and we see, and we hear the songs, and everybody's singing all the great Christmas songs. There's Joy to the World, and there's Silent Night, and the First Noel, and Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Man, I love all that stuff, you know? And we sing a Holy Night, and it's Christmas. You know what we do at Christmas? We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so we're in a series entitled Born, Mary Had a Baby. And we're going to look at the birth of Jesus this month. And as Christians, we have two great doctrines that we focus on. That makes us completely unique. One, we celebrated Easter. It's uh, the resurrection. And one, we celebrated Christmas. It's the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Next week, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time talking about the doctrine of the virgin birth because it's important. But today I'm going to kind of lay that groundwork, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the woman who was behind the virgin birth, the virgin of the virgin birth, found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, it's Christmas. It'll just appear on the screen. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering or wondering what kind of salutation or greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and be will call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? So as we come to this passage today, we're going to talk about the virgin. 
Here's what I want you to see from this passage, what I want you to see from Mary. This is important. The value of life is found in Jesus. It's just it's that simple. The value of life is found in Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to come in this story, and, and we're going to begin by, by talking about this girl who was known as the virgin. I mean, if you speak of the virgin, people know it's Mary. Now, the story of Jesus' birth in the Gospels is found in two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And, and people make a big deal. Some do. Why it wasn't found in the other ones. And we'll probably talk about that more next week. But Mark kind of had a whole different thing in writing. His is a very condensed version. John wrote about 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The virgin birth story was out there. He wasn't worried about it. And John, he talks more about the nature of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. The deity and humanity. He talks about that. But Matthew and Mark tell us about Jesus being born. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us all we need to know. There's a pretty good amount of detail. They're, 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 they're distinct, they're different, but there's harmony between the two. Matthew focuses on the birth of Jesus from the point of view, really, of Joseph, his, his earthly father. The, the, the father that adopted him made him legally his. But Luke really focuses from the perspective of Mary. And even in focusing on Mary, she goes back past Mary. She really, he really begins with, with the birth story of, of Jesus' cousin named, named John. And then it comes to the story of Mary. And, and when coming to Mary's story, we begin to see some things about Mary that's extremely helpful to us, especially as followers of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, it's helpful to you to become a follower of Christ at this Christmas season. Now, the angel Gabriel came to her, and, and, and as is common, you know, and, and they come, you know, we've got to get a little background. It, it says it was the sixth month, and the angel Gabriel came to a woman. She was a woman, she, he came to this village called Nazareth, uh, to this woman. She was engaged to this guy, Joseph, of the house of the descendants of David, and uh, she was a virgin. Her name was Mary. This is some opening information. Two things that were important. First, we were talking to about a very young girl. She's a young girl who was engaged to be married. Now, engagements back then, not all the time, but most of the time were arranged. It doesn't mean that they didn't have some say, but they were arranged. And so they would arrange for their daughters to get married about 15, 16. I wish that was the custom in America. I would have loved when my daughter was 15 or 16 to be able to determine who she was going to marry. We don't get to do that. Some of you dads out there, you can try it. Don't think it's going to work, but good luck if you try it. But they would arrange it. And back then, engagements were different because people get engaged today. You know, they get engaged, get married, they can break them off. But back then, an engagement was binding. It was like a legal document. It was a legal coming together. You didn't live together. You didn't sleep together. But it was a period to get to know each other. And you can only break the engagement legally by a divorce. And so they were engaged. And Mary was young. And it's important to know that she was a virgin. It's sad, but we don't place the emphasis on virginity today like they did back then, or even like they did when I was young. We just don't emphasize it the way we should. We should, but we don't. But the virginity had to deal with the purity. And being married, you know, back then you were Jewish, and being Jewish they wanted to honor God. One man, one woman for life, that meant something. Who they married was important, guaranteeing bloodlines and inheritance. So it was important for the person to be a virgin. And you may say, well, how would they know when they were a virgin? They just did. There's ways to know that. I'm a 58-year-old guy. I don't like discussing that in public. So if you don't understand how they guaranteed that, Google it up. It'll tell you there. That's what I did. (laughs) And I'm happy to let it be there. Just go figure it out on your own. That's the great thing. I can tell you to go figure it out on your own, some stuff. And they would guarantee that. And so he came to her. 
And then he greeted her, and he did the typical angel greeting. Part of it, he said, don't be afraid. You know what I mean? Angels, in the Christmas story, are always saying, don't be afraid. And Joseph, don't be afraid. You know, Zechariah, don't be afraid. I've had people tell me, you know, I've had an angel visit me. What they say to you? And they begin telling me what they said. I said, no, nah, you didn't have an angel, because the first thing the angel would say is, don't be afraid. That's like the calling card. Don't be afraid. And here's what he said to her. Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, for you have found favor with God. That's what it says. Now, the word favored is important. That's the key to all this. It's used twice. It means grace. In the Greek, it is grace. And, um, and so it's, hello, the graced one. That's not a good translation. It's not a smooth translation. So we say in English, favored one. Now, the first time it's mentioned, it is, it is a, a verb. It's called a, you know, it's, it's a perfect passive participle. You don't care. I just share that with you so I sound, you know, intelligent. But here's what it means. The perfect part of the verb means that it speaks of something that occurred at a point in time that has lasting results. In other words, there was a time, there was a point when she didn't have grace. And then she had it. And having it, it continues. Now, I talked about grace in a series in October. Grace is God's favor towards us. It's his blessings towards us. It's his salvation. It's his mercy. It's compassion that is undeserved and earned. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. And here's an example of that. She didn't have grace at some point, and then she had it. And it's passive, meaning it, she didn't get it or earn it. She didn't go out and take it. It was given to her. So whatever grace she had, she didn't have it. Then she had it, and she kept it. It came from God. And the second time the word favor is mentioned, it speaks of this way. You have been graced. Grace is yours. You live in that condition. Why? Because the Lord is with you. God is with her in that state. Now, I'll spend a few moments talking about this because understanding this is critical. Uh, some of you come from a Catholic background. Maybe you're still Catholic. And, and I'm not saying anything negative about Catholicism, if I could pronounce it correctly, that would help, about Catholics. I'm just speaking of the difference in what we need to understand. Catholics, you've often heard it translated, Hail Mary, full of grace. That doesn't come from the Greek. It comes from the Latin. So when they translate the Latin into English, it's Hail Mary, full of grace. In Catholicism, grace is basically seen... It's a kind of a crude statement, but it's, it, it works as a commodity. In other words, it's something you possess, you have in, in, in varying degrees. You can have so much of it. You can have 20%. You can have twice as much grace as me, whatever. That's how they look at it. And in Catholic view, Mary already had grace. At some point, she already had grace. Now, in Catholicism, because they believe that Mary never had original sin, that's why you have the Immaculate Conception, they would understand that Mary kind of always had grace. Now, I, I'm not a Catholic scholar, and, and Catholic scholars would find plenty of fault in what I say. This is kind of a crude assessment, but it's accurate enough. And so in Catholicism, grace is something you achieve, something you get, something you pull in. It's something you earn, and you earn it by faith. See, grace and faith matter. It's just that to Catholics, in their theology, faith comes before grace. You have faith, you do acts of faith, you earn grace. So... When a baby is born, that baby needs to be baptized as soon as possible, I think on the eighth day, because they receive grace and the baby's protected. When I went to Laredo, my, when, as soon as I got there, my custodian, who was Catholic, her grandson died at birth. And she was terrified, she was scared, she was distraught because she believed the baby went to hell because he had never been baptized. It took a lot of time to help her work through that. The belief is you have to receive grace through acts of faith. Communion is an act of faith. You receive part of grace. When you go to confession and you're given penance, you receive grace. So grace is something you earn, you get. It, it, it's something that's contributed to you. Faith comes before grace. Well, as a, as a follower of Christ, it comes from an evangelical background, Baptist. We understand, as do most people, other denominations, that grace and faith are gifts of God. It's not something you earn. Paul says, for by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. 
not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Grace is not something that's from you, it's God's gift, so is faith. Grace comes before faith. We are graced by God, and in giving us grace, he also gives us the faith we need to trust him. Now, why is this important? Because we need to understand there was nothing about Mary that forced God's hand, that she didn't earn, she didn't deserve any of that. In fact, let me say this. Mary found favor not because she deserved it, but because God decided it. God decided on Mary. That's important to us. Because in choosing Mary, what matters when God graced her and gave her faith is how she responds to God. So now we're going to kind of see how she responds to God. So the angel has more to say to her. He says, you're going to conceive in your womb. And you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus. Now, on the surface, it's no big deal. Because she could say, okay, you know, I'm married. I'm engaged to Joseph. Joseph and I are going to be married. At some point, we'll have a child. You know, okay, it'll be a son. Great, you're predicting that. Name Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. When Joseph was encountered by Gabriel and Matthew, which was after this chronologically, uh, you know, Joseph was distraught. Mary was pregnant, didn't know what to do. Obviously, he thought she cheated on him. And the angel came and said, don't worry about it. And he told him what's going to happen, kind of like what we're going to see next week about the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus on the virgin birth, virgin conception. But he said, you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You're going to name the child Jesus. The name Jesus is important. It points to one who saves. Every young girl back in Mary's day wanted to be the mother of the Messiah, of the Savior of Israel. And they didn't think of Savior as we know it, but they thought of the one who would deliver the people. So this would be exciting news. But then Joseph, then Gabriel said something that's going to really blow her away. Because he said, he is going to be called great. And then get this. He's going to be the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In other words, God is going to come and be a part of this. And so when it says he is going to be the son of the Most High, this is important because the phrase Most High means God. This is going to be God's son. Now, this isn't just a general title like we're all God's children. I know we live in a day and age. We want to take, you know, the masculine gender out of things. And and I I don't understand it, but I know it's there. This has nothing to do with this, okay? The the title of son isn't son as opposed to a daughter. It's it's not like, you know, how we all are, people like to say, well, we're all God's children. Uh, Okay, maybe we're all God's children. But this is not that kind of, that mindset. This is, this idea of son is something specific, It is a title. He is the son of the most high. In other words, he is the son of God. He is deity. Mary, you're going to give birth to deity. Well, that's crazy. And the Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father David. Now, it was always believed that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And that's how he would rule. And he would come from that throne. But only he's not going to get it simply because he is born that way. He's going to give it because God's going to give it to him as his son. Now, Jesus comes from the line of David. And primarily, especially, you know, we we trace that through Joseph. Joseph was through the line of David. Now, Mary was to some degree also, we believe, but Joseph in particular always says that. Here's the thing you need to realize. Back then, when you adopted a child, that child became yours, not just in the sense of legally, but it became your child in every aspect. And whatever your family line was, that was the child's family line as well. It had to do with the blood. It had to do with the child was yours. For instance, at the time of Christ's birth, when this story occurred, the emperor was Caesar Augustus, Octavius. He was the son of Julius Caesar, but he wasn't by birth his son. He was his nephew. 
Julius Caesar adopted Augustus and appointed him to be the emperor so that Augustus was considered literally to be the son of Julius. Jesus, the son of of Joseph, but God was going to give him the throne. That's not all. God, God keeps going on. And he says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The house of Jacob, Israel. He's going to reign over Israel forever. Of his kingdom, there'll be no end. So he's going to reign as a king, going to have a kingdom. This speaks of kind of like the earthly aspect. But his reign will have no end. He will rule forever. That's, that's a godly aspect. That's eternal. So what, what the angel is saying to Mary, and he's bringing all this together, and she's just 16 now, probably around. This, this, just grasping all this. You're going to have a son. There's going to be a natural part. You're going to have a natural birth. There's going to be a human part of it. He's going to be the human Messiah. But there's something else. There's something unique. There's something divine about it. He's also going to be God. He's going to be God in the flesh. That's pretty crazy. So Mary, Mary just asked this question. How can this be? Well, I'm a virgin. She's not doubting, but she's just saying, how is this going to happen? Because she understands, I'm a virgin. Now, we're going to go on, and we'll see you next week in verse 35 and on how all this is explained. But here Mary is saying, I, I am a virgin. This can't happen. See, they understood that back then that if you didn't have a physical sexual relationship, you, you, you couldn't get pregnant. Now, I know in our world, you know, everybody you know, thinks they're so smart. We can figure out how ways to do that. Well, good for you. But back then, that's, they didn't understand that. They didn't have science. They didn't have internet. They didn't have people trying to figure out ways to circumvent God at every turn of the events. You know, they just, they just accepted what is reality. Bio- biologically, from biology, can't have kids without coming together that way. She's just, I, I can't do this. Now, I want you to understand something about Mary just for a moment. Mary's about to take on a challenge that is unbelievable because she's going to be basically an unwed mother. She has no idea what Joseph will do. Her assumption at this point would naturally be that Joseph's going to kick her to the curb and nothing to do with her. That's his legal right. That she's going to be pregnant and not married, and it's going to be a scandal. And she will carry this mark with her the rest of her life. In, uh, in high school, we had to read the novel, The Scarlet Letter. Anybody read The Scarlet Letter? Everybody know what that letter stands for, right? She had to adultery, that big old way. She committed adultery. Always going to shame her, humiliate her, wherever she would go. This was Mary. She would always be scandalized. She's not backing out of it. She's like saying, I don't really want to do it. She's accepting it. She just doesn't know how it's going to go. She goes, I'm a virgin. I'm going to go through this and give birth to this child. I'm going to give birth to the Son of God in the flesh. But I don't know how that's going to happen. But in saying that she's a virgin, she is declaring her purity and her faith and commitment to God. One of the things you need to realize about Mary, and sometimes it's Baptist, because other people go so far out there and almost deify Mary, we kind of ignore Mary. We kind of run for her, but we shouldn't embrace Mary. Because she has the value. She has the characteristics. She has what we should want. She has this unbelievable faith. She trusts God. She doesn't question it. She goes, okay, that's fine, but I'm a virgin. I believe you. How's it going to be? So Mary at this point in her life is exhibiting faith. Now, remember what I said earlier. Grace comes before faith. Mary was graced by God because she was graced, she has faith, not the other way around. Mary, Mary was favored by God, not because she deserved it, because God decided it. When God decided it, she accepts it. Here's the thing about Mary that's important. Mary had qualities that gave her credibility in her service to God. There were things about Mary that gave her some credibility. And this is the thing. There's nothing that Mary did that, that made her deserve this. But when God was going to bring Jesus into the world, when God the Son was coming into flesh, there were certain things that needed to happen. One, they needed to have a virgin. 
God needed, I mean, Jesus needed to have a virgin for this because, you know, he had to protect his lineage. He had to protect the credibility. As it was, Mary would spend her entire life being scandalized. But Jesus needed to be sure that from a doctrinal standpoint, there was the credibility of the virgin birth. Jesus needed someone who was, who was Israelite, who was going to be connected to the house of David like she was to Joseph. Jesus needed someone, if he was going to come into this world, who was going to be a person of faith like Mary. So Mary didn't earn it, but she didn't discredit herself either. An important thing to learn, God will use anyone for his purpose, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't look for certain things in the people he uses. For instance, when God looked for someone to sing, he didn't consider me. It's not that I can't sing, it's just I can't. I mean, I can sing words. I can't hit notes. I can hit, Debbie used to say, I could hit one note. I would sing a song, and she said, you hit that one note about five times. That was pretty good. And we used to play a song. I used to hum and see if she could name that tune by my humming. We don't do that much anymore because we were younger and foolish. And that. I have no singing ability. So God didn't say, I, God could have called me into the music ministry or what is it, Brian, they call it now, worship ministry, whatever they call it now. He could have called me there, but he didn't. I had nothing useful for God. I can't play nothing. I can play the radio. That's it. I can't play nothing. But, but what I can do is what I do. So God, God looks at us to where we're able to serve him. But from a moral standpoint, from a character standpoint, what's important to realize is that Mary never disqualified herself. Here was this unbelievable woman, this virgin, that God was going to use because God decided to do that. And the thing about Mary that we need to realize is she always had this connection to Jesus. The story of Mary is the story of being connected to Jesus. That's what Christmas is about, a connection to Christ. So what I want to share with you for the next few moments about being connected to Jesus. What it means to be connected to Jesus. Every time you see Mary, in the birth account, she's connected to Jesus. At the end of Luke chapter 2, at the temple, she's connected to Jesus. In John chapter 2, the wedding feast of Canaan, she's connected to Jesus. In John 19, on the cross, there's Mary, she's connected to Jesus. Mary is connected to Jesus, and there's value for us in being connected to Jesus. So here's the value of Mary's life is in her connection to Jesus. The value of life in general is being found or is found in believing Jesus is Lord. You want to know what the value of life is in general? It's when you believe that Jesus is Lord. You understand that. Mary did. Mary had her faith. Mary was connected to Jesus as Lord. We need that connection to Jesus as Lord. That's what Christmas is really about. It's helping us come into that connection of Jesus Christ. Christmas can be difficult for people, and I get that. It's a hard time of the year. Uh, For some people, it's hard because they've lost a loved one this past year, and this is the first Christmas uh, without them, or they lost a loved one at Christmas time, and every year's a reminder. So some people, it's hard because, you know, there's financial instability, and they have a lack of finances, and everybody's spending money, and they can't spend money on their kids. And Some people are just lonely, and loneliness is just a devastating thing, and there's everybody celebrating, you know, everybody's out having a good time, you know, and you're, you're, you're lonely. And some people, it's just, there's a loss or a lack of the worth or value. We live at a time, any day can be tough, Christmas can be tough. And part of that is because we have lost a sense of value of worth that we have. Every life has value simply by being alive. In, in, in February, I'm going to preach about being created in God's image. God's image gives us value. But while life has value, there's a difference between that having value, life, and finding value in living our life. Finding purpose, finding meaning, finding something that matters. That's the struggle that we enter into. That's the struggle that many people have. Christmas makes it difficult. 
And part of the reason for that is just the consequences of being sinners. I mean, sin does that. And I'm not saying that you did a particular sin and why you committed that sin, that's why you have this problem. I'm saying we are sinners against God, living in a culture that sins against God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came at Christmas because sin. He did something about sin. Why? Because we have value to him. Think of it this way. Why would Jesus come into this world to save us from sin if we didn't have value to Jesus? If God didn't value us, why would God, why would he come in the flesh to give us value in life? He came because of that value. And because we have so much value that Jesus came into this world, he will give us the value to live in this world. But that value to live in this world comes when we put our faith in Christ in him. If you don't put your faith in Christ in Jesus, you will not experience that value. You will keep living a life that lacks meaning and purpose. Some of you today, what you do need to do is to trust Christ. You don't do it because you deserve it. You don't do it because you generate it. You do it because of grace, the grace God had in sending Christ to begin with. That was grace. And the grace God has in his willingness and his desire to give your life meaning and value to save you from sin. That's where value is. And some of you struggle at Christmas. Because you don't connect with the Christ of Christmas. And your life lacks that meaning and purpose and value. The value of life, specifically, is found in honoring and serving Jesus. So Mary, if we were to read on, we'll see this next week. In verse 38, she says, I am your servant. Do with me as you choose. Mary is saying, I'm here to serve you, God. I mean, Mary is this unbelievable person. 16 years of age. Who honors and serves God. If you were to keep reading in Luke chapter 1, you come to the song of Mary, the Magnificat. The song of Mary. where She honors God. You, you have this serving God. I mean, think about how she's going to honor God. She's going she's to experience humiliation, scandal. She's going to experience persecution by carrying in her womb, Son of God. But I'm going to bring honor to God by doing that. She's going to serve God all her life. She's going to raise up Jesus to be the Messiah. She's going to serve the Lord no matter what the cost. And by the way, Joseph also. We're not talking about Joseph, but Joseph should get a ton of credit. These people live their life that way. And too often, we don't live our life honoring and serving God. And, And because of that, our value's in the wrong place. We value the wrong things. We value the wrong people. We have our commitment in the wrong place. It's not with Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what I want you to think about at Christmas. Why don't you spend this Christmas honoring God? I mean, think about it. It's great to do all the stuff you're doing. Yeah, just do all the shopping and, and spend time with God. But how are you going to honor God? We come to worship. Yes, we have all the Sunday morning. And on, on the 15th of uh, December, we're going to have that night, the Christmas musical. And then we have the Christmas Eve service. But there's, there's, there's not just that. How are you going to interact with people? You're going to know people that don't know Jesus. You know people that don't know Jesus. You know people that Christmas is a miserable experience. Why don't you enter into their life at some point and connect them to Christ? You have the opportunity at Christmas. Maybe no other time in the year, but at Christmas, you can connect with people who are disconnected from Jesus. And you can honor God by helping them come to Christ. Maybe you invite them to something we have going on here. Maybe you just spend time with them. Maybe you pray with them. Maybe you love them. Maybe you invite them. I don't know what you do. 
But there are ways you can honor God. If you're not honoring God at Christmas, you're missing the value of Christmas. You're missing the purpose and meaning of Christmas. Honor God at Christmas and serve God at Christmas. How can you serve him? Now, there's lots of things we can do special. We can go to some you know, homeless shelter. We can help this family or that family. But just think of the things every day. Think about the family members you're going to come in contact with. How many of you are going to come in contact this Christmas season with family members and there's some disharmony in your family? There's problems in your family. Everybody has that one person, right, nobody likes? Think about that one person in your family nobody likes. And if you can't think of who that is, guess who it is? <laughs> yeah, that's you. So I think of lots of people because it ain't me, you know. What a service to God if you could bring harmony to your family. You could bring peace to your family. If you could forgive people who've wronged you and love people who hurt you. If you could look at those people who are struggling in life and find some way to serve them. Isn't that what we do at Christmas? I mean, just think about Mary. Honored God, served God, believed God. When, when you come to this virgin, the, the, the woman who gave birth to Jesus, it was purely by grace that God picked her. But when he picked her, she believed, and she honored, and she served. If you want your life to have value, if you want Christmas to have meaning, believe and honor and serve. Some of you need to believe that Jesus is the Lord. It's Christmas. We celebrate his birth, but you don't believe. You're missing the whole point of Christmas. So today, why don't you give your life to Christ right now? You can simply trust him to be your Savior and say, Jesus, I want to trust you to save me. In just a moment, we'll have an invitation. There'll be people standing here. Maybe you want to come and talk to one of them, one of the guys, one of the ladies, and say, I need to give my life to Christ. Some of you ladies, if you're more comfortable talking to another woman, then hopefully there's going to be one down here. You can say, I, I, I want to talk to you about giving my life to Christ. Some of you, you need to honor God this Christmas. So how are you going to do it? Right now, instead of singing, just think, how will I honor God? This is the whole month of Jesus. How am I going to honor God at Christmas? And some of you need to think, how am I going to serve God? How will I at Christmas? How can I serve you, God, in what capacity? Make the commitment to honor God. Make the commitment to serve God. Listen, if you're struggling, if you're one of the lonely people, the people who thinks that life has no value right now, we're going to be up here. Come talk to one of us. We'll pray with you. I don't know what I don't know what you need to do, but I hope this Christmas you'll do this. You'll find value in your life in Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for sending Christ. Because without him, we're lost. We're just flat lost. And we're in rebellion against you, and we're your enemy. But you sent Jesus to save us, and we glorify you. And Father, you used Mary. And my prayer is that all of us could be like Mary, just to let you use us, to give ourselves to you. I pray that all of us would be visited by your grace. And in grace, we would respond in faith to trust you. That we would believe, we would honor, we would serve, and we would find value for our life in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here. You come.